Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. This is the final podcast in the series looking at how we can better understand soils. In the series so far, we looked at the fundamentals of soils and how fertilizer applications are influenced by soil properties, and also how we can measure these components accurately. In this episode, we will look at factors which can improve soils, and also are there other elements which can be applied to soils which can help to improve soil functioning further. I'm delighted to be joined again by Professor Mike McLaughlin from the University of Adelaide to chat through this area. Mike, in the series so far, we spoke about how to improve soils which are not functioning correctly. Is it possible to significantly change a soil to bring it from a moderately yielding site to a high yielding site? Depending on your soil condition to start with, for example, if you've got a very uh, infertile soil to start with in a natural condition, obviously addition of nutrients is going to significantly change crop production on that soil. If you've got a particularly acidic soil, obviously addition of lime is going to significantly change crop production on that soil because nutrient availability and root growth and all these sorts of things are limited by the soil acidity. Um, not a problem for Ireland, but if in Australia, we've got big problems with sodic soils, which are very dispersive and poor structure. And in these soils, we add gypsum to try and improve the physical quality. Um, and also a soil that's very deficient in organic matter. Soils that are very deficient in organic matter tend to be not only low in nutrients, but also very poor soil structure. And so <clears throat> adding organic matter to those soils is going to increase soil fertility in terms of nutrients, but it's also going to improve soil fertility in terms of the physical quality of the soil, provide aggregates that improves uh, aeration and and the ability to hold water and ability, also the organic matter has got the ability to hold nutrients against leaching. So yeah, depending on the initial soil condition, uh, we've been doing this for millennia, I should say. So in China, we're adding, you know, human excreta to soils for thousands of years. In in Europe, we've been adding animal manures to soils and um, wastes from urban areas for uh, maybe five, six hundred years, all to try and improve crop production. So um, it changed dramatically in the last century because of the manufacture of uh, artificial fertilizers. Um, but there's fundamentals in there that are still important in terms of soil structure uh, that only uh, organic matter and other things can 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 change. Also, I mean, some soils in England, actually large amounts of clay were added to the soil to improve, um, significantly improve crop production. That was a uh, process called marling. So uh, because clay is the most reactive part of a soil, if you add clay to a soil loan clay, you're going to improve the water holding capacity. You're going to improve the nutrient holding capacity, those sorts of things. So yeah, we can. It, it, it's, it's difficult to change clay content and soil. So you've got to add tons per hectare. That's one of the issues. And again, with organic matter, you're not, you're not going to get away with adding kilograms per hectare. You've got to add tons per hectare to really change things. Why, Mike, is, is organic matter so effective? Is it, is it just the physical properties or is there underlying chemical properties that, that help the soil or interact with the existing um, you know, major elements within the soil? Yeah, it's a combination of physical, chemical and biological, actually. So... Um, so organic matter is fantastic to improve soil aggregation uh, and it's fantastic to improve uh, water holding capacity of soil. So in terms of physical quality, um, when, when we talk about measurement of soil health, and I can talk about that later, 
one of the key things to measure the biological health of a soil actually is a physical measurement, aggregate stability. And aggregate stability is really controlled by the organic matter and the cycling of organisms and fungi in the soil. So uh, this physics, chemistry, and biology act together, and organic matter's got a bit, of, you know, a bit of each in it. It's got a bit of physical improvement. It's got chemical improvement. It's got microbiological improvement because of the carbon you're adding to soil. So it it is quite a key ingredient in soils, and that's why we do focus on organic carbon content of soils in terms of soil health. It's the, it's the magic ingredient, I suppose, to, to to bind and hold an awful lot of other things together. Well, there's no it, magic. But it's an important ingredient. <laughs> in, in terms of some of the various different compounds, Mike, that that, that are that are in it, and it does, and you mentioned it, it does does hold in a, a good few. Of them. There's there's um uh, a, a couple called humic acid and fulvic acid, which I think are a part of it. Would would I be right in saying that? And yep. if you have yep. any idea what sort of levels would be held in, say, a ton of farmyard manure or or a thousand gallons of slurry. Humic and fulvic acids is an old way of describing, um, it's the way that chemists describe soil organic matter. And fulvic acids are things that are soluble at all acidities, whereas humic acids are organic matter that precipitates when you make it acid. And really, it was a way for organic chemists to, to partition organic matter into a couple of different pools. These days, with the uh, new spectroscopic methods to analyze organic matter, we tend to move away from that humic fulvic acid classification because we now think our soil organic matter, it's a very complex structure and it's made up of uh, no, no soil organic matter in two, two different soils is the same. So uh, it's a very complex molecule and it's a collection of molecules uh, that can change over time and can change with wetting and drying. So it's not a cut and, cut and dried way of looking at soil organic matter these days. And actually, when you buy humic or fulvic acids, quite often they're not acid at all because a lot of humic acids are actually made by treating brown coal, a mineral called leonardite, with alkali, either sodium hydroxide, potassium hydroxide, or ammonium hydroxide. So the only way to solubilize these from the brown coal is to use a very strong alkali solution. Uh, and so those those acids that you're buying are actually usually quite high pH, pH 8, 9. Um, so, yeah, it's strange that we're, we're buying an alkali and calling it a humic acid. <laughs> um, but it's the only way to make it in a soluble form. Okay. but, but uh, So you can buy it in a five litre can, uh, but you could also apply five or six or ten tonnes per hectare firmier manure. Maybe it's not an easy question, but is there, is there as much in the farmyard manure as you might buy in the five liter can or is it possible to do that kind of a calculation oh there'd be much more probably in the farm you know there'd be much more in the farmyard manure um i mean humic and fulvic acids you can get those out of soil organic matter itself so a soil with say two percent organic carbon in it uh, contains about 20 to 30 tons of humic substances per hectare to a six inch depth 15 centimeter depth so, you know, if there's, if there's 20 to 30 tons of humic substances in soil, adding 50 or 100 kilos of a humate or a humic acid per hectare is less than a 0.25% increase in the total humic material in the soil. 
So farmyard manure is going to contain significant amounts of what you'd call humic acids. It's going to have lots of organic carbon in it, complex organic carbon is a better way to call it. And uh, it's got to have lots of soluble organic carbon too that stimulates microbes in the soil, which then produce humic materials as they grow and decompose and die. So, yeah, adding tons per hectare of farm farmyard manure is going to have much more benefit than adding a few liters per hectare of a, a soluble organic carbon solution, you know, humic acid. Okay, so I think you're after changing my view in humic and fulvic acids from, from the point of view of, I suppose I always kind of thought that, God, if they're in a can, well, um, sure, they're, 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 there must be, they're all at smallish kind of levels, and if they're like that, and for we, we, we for, for adding them like that, maybe they're leachable, but what you're saying is that not really they're part of the larger complex that that is ever present, I suppose, in some of our soils. Yeah, I mean, a large proportion of the humic substances aren't soluble, but there is a small proportion that leach. So if you if you look at the water draining out of a soil profile or if you look in a drainage ditch, it's colored. And that effect that color is effectively uh, humic or fulvic substances, basically, in the solution. Fulvic acid, you call them humic or fulvic acids. As I say, the organic matter chemists have moved away from calling them those over the years. But effectively, humic and fulvic substances are, are draining out of the soil profile, but it's a small proportion of the total. I mean, there's a large proportion held in the soil that's not soluble. Okay. Um, okay. And people have done trials and compared adding large amounts of organic materials to soil. So compost, sewage sludges, manures, worm composts, and comparing it against humic acid solutions. There's a good paper in 2001, actually, that I often quote. And there's no significant change uh, with the humic acid solution because you're adding only 100 litres per hectare per year compared to the tons of these organic manures that you're adding to soil that are really changing aggregate stability and soil cation exchange capacity and soil structure and these sorts of things. I suppose it's a, it's, it's a kind of thing we often get, uh, I suppose, maybe a little bit caught up about that we can buy something in a can and that, that has to be good. But going back to what you were saying earlier, in terms of the the quantities that we're buying in comparison to the quantities that are already there, I think maybe me and maybe lots of other people maybe get a little bit um, lost in the in, in the figures in terms of the the overall that you're putting on versus what's already there. If we look back just a little bit and step back and maybe look at some of those major elements, the likes of phosphorus, say for instance in in an Irish in an Irish soil, if you had a, a reasonably good phosphate um, level in the soil of say on a test, say an index three or maybe eight point five milligrams per liter. What sort of level in terms of kgs per hectare is that equivalent to? Just to give us an idea uh, in terms of what's there in comparison to in a normal kind of uh, year, we might be adding maybe 30 or 40 kilos per hectare. If you look at the Morgans where you're measuring in a milligram per litre, and if you assume a six inch depth of soil, if you multiply that value by 1.5, roughly, that gives you the kilograms of phosphorus per hectare that's extracted by that reagent or potassium. So say uh, 8.5 times 1.5 is around just under 13, 12.75. So it's roughly about 13 kilograms of extractable P per hectare equivalent. And for K at 120, um, I can't remember which tier that is. Is that tier three? Uh, kind of it's in, in tier three, yeah. Yeah, tier three. Yeah, um, that would be about 180 kilos of potassium per hectare. 
that's extracted by that reagent. Okay, so there's some already available, and as we as we mentioned in the previous, or you mentioned in the previous podcast, you have some background stuff there. So it's just a matter matter of adding to that uh, to keep it all kind of yeah. taken along, which forms the basis of um, a, a maintenance dressing, I suppose. Yeah, and also you do, that's not the only available pea in the soil. With these um, Morgan's reagent, just like any other soil pea test, it's correlated with crop response to fertilizer. But it doesn't mean there's only 12 kilograms of pea in the soil available for the crop. The crop is maybe going to extract much more than that from the soil over the growing season, in fact. It might be extracting 25 kilos per hectare and getting five from fertilizer that year. So it's really just an index to give you an idea of the background soil fertility. And the higher the background soil fertility, the less fertilizer you need to apply, basically. Okay. So don't think of it as a hard and fast. That's what's available that year and nothing else. And then if we turn just a little bit back to soil health, because obviously P and K and organic manures we were talking about all have an interaction in terms of the overall good soil health. And lots of people are talking about that, I suppose, especially uh, where people are maybe turning their their minds to um, regenerative agriculture or or whatever you like to call it in in, in that kind of a scenario. And soil health is certainly a, a big element of that, and maybe rightly so. We, we probably should. We, it, it is great that more people are maybe looking to soil health. But I, I suppose it comes down to well, what is soil health? Is there a definitive measurement for soil health? Uh, and maybe more fundamentally, what determines soil health really at, at, at the core of it all? Yeah, look, um, there's a lot of definitions of soil health out there. Uh, it just depends which organization you go to. <clears throat> really, it's um, it, it's a measure of the um, overall health of a system in terms of physical, chemical, and biological uh, activity. So um, organic matter is obviously central to that because organic matter, as I mentioned before, interacts with nutrient retention and with aggregate stability and porosity and these sorts of things. There's no definitive test for soil health. <clears throat> Lots of people have got different ideas. Um, recently, there's been a major study done in US, actually by the Soil Health Institute, uh, over, I think it's 125 locations or something like that, and asking the question, well, what are the three key things you could measure that might give you an indication of soil health. Interestingly, two of those are related to carbon in the soil, and one is totally unrelated to microbiology or carbon. It's related to physical quality of soil. So the three things that they've suggested are organic carbon concentration, because that is like a barometer of the ability of soil organic matter to affect both soil fertility and soil physical quality, soil structure, water holding capacity, those sorts of things. So the more organic carbon you have in soil, generally, the better the soil is going to be structurally and the better it's going to be in terms of nutrient turnover and the better it's going to be in terms of nutrient retention. So, uh, and lots of farmers are familiar with measuring organic carbon in their soils. Uh, the second one was, uh, it's more of a new test called carbon mineralization potential. So this is the amount of CO2 released by a soil, a dry soil, when you re-wet it. And really, it's a measure of the easily um, uh, respirable carbon for the microorganisms in the soil. So how much carbon becomes available to stimulate microbial activity when you re-wet a dry soil? Uh, and the reason it's been suggested, because they've related that to crop 
productivity and all other soil physical parameters in soil as well. And the third test they recommend is actually aggregate stability, which is a soil physics test. It's nothing to do with microbiology and nothing to do with chemistry. But it's that interaction that I mentioned before. Organic matter is critical for soil structure. And a soil that's got good aggregate stability is going to have good water infiltration. It's going to have good aeration. It's going to have pretty good water holding capacity. Uh, it's going to drain well, and it's not going to disperse and form crusts and these sorts of things. So those are the three things that have come out of the most recent study. You'll see lots of other tests suggested, like amount of bacteria versus fungi. You know, the total amount of bacteria, the types of bacteria, all this sort of thing. Earthworms is probably a big one, I suppose. People talk about it a lot too. Yeah, earthworms. I mean, earthworms, I bet you earthworms are related to organic carbon concentration and aggregate stability. Um, so uh, earthworms are quite important, obviously, in terms of, of soil structure and, and um, the chemical fertility of a soil. And it's always a good a good thing when you see earthworms in soil. So, um, But the soil health, as I say, these guys who were looking at it in detail over uh, more than 100 sites didn't come up with suggesting measuring earthworms. It's, I suppose it's a little bit more difficult to go out and measure earthworms because you've got to do it in the field. It's not something where you can take a soil sample and send it off to a lab no. because the earthworms are dead by the time it gets yeah, there. Yeah. So th I think that's why they've, they've got these three easily measurable parameters uh, that you can take samples and send it off to a lab for analysis. And, and do you think on those particular analyses, are they um, more suitable to a continental type climate stroke soil versus maybe something that might be transferable to Ireland in, 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 in a more maritime and a wetter soil for more, more of the year, if you like? Yeah, well, I mean, America's got lots of wet soil. So I, I think it will be interesting to look at uh, those parameters for Irish soils. Uh, I think aggregate stability would be, you know, just as good. Organic carbon concentration, just as good. The carbon mineralization potential, not sure. Um, it's something that could be looked at uh, where it, to see whether that relates to um, soil productivity. In the end, what you want to do is maximize crop. As an agriculturalist, you want to maximize crop production. So uh, sometimes I say if you've got a good crop yield, you've got a healthy soil because there's carbon getting pumped below ground. The plant is the the bioassay, bio if you like, of the overall health of that soil. It's showing you that that soil is productive and can produce a high amount of uh, product per hectare. So crop yields aren't a bad measurement of soil health in the end, but if you want to actually get something physically or chemically to measure soil health, some of those parameters are good. And it is good. Okay. We mentioned just along the way around beneficial soil organisms. And uh, and again, there is this um, uh, thinking from, from some parts of the industry that the addition of you know high levels of nitrogen are not particularly beneficial to the soil, but you can mitigate that by adding various different um, bits and pieces uh, to the fertilizer the likes of molasses, say in a tank, and with, with liquid with liquid nitrogen, for instance, or we talked before about the humic and fulvic acids. Um, adding those that they can help to mitigate or to help nitrogen work that bit better. I'm not exactly sure which theory is there, but I mean, there, there's there's certainly thinking along those lines. Do you have any sort of a view on that in terms of those additions to to, to like some of those fertilizers? The idea that high end can reduce microbial diversity in soils—that's 
it's quite contentious in the scientific world on that because there was some papers came out of US that suggested that. I sit in the camp where I think abuse of nitrogen fertilizer use or inappropriate use of nitrogen fertilizer can lead to soil conditions that can affect the microbial health of the soil. That's no doubt about that. So too much N, too much leaching is going to acidify the soil and that's going to affect the microbes. Too much N and no leaching, you can have salt problems and that might affect it. The microbes so but proper use of n in terms of crop production actually can improve microbial growth because you're at, you're producing more crop and adding more carbon to the soil so that's that's got to be put on the plus side with fertilizer application um, and adding again adding small amounts of materials to overcome inappropriate n use is probably in my view not appropriate Let's fix up the inappropriate fertilizer use first uh, and have, you know, well-managed fertilizer uh, addition and then see what we can add to soils to improve it. Um, the problem with, as I said, I've talked about humic acids before, that the problem is there's lots of those already in the soil. I don't think mm. they're going to particularly help. Um, and molasses is a carbon source. So, yeah, it might stimulate microbial activity. So that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, and can retain nutrients in the soil, perhaps. So, But you need to have, again, when I talk about any new product, you need to have multi-site, multi-year uh, field trials, uh, independently, scientifically verified. You need to have a mode of action. So what in the molasses, what is the molasses, what's the compound in the, in the molasses doing? And does that sound credible from a, uh, a soil health or a soil microbial or a soil structural viewpoint? Okay, so do your homework again. I think we mentioned that before in previous um, podcasts that, that uh, do your homework in terms of design, the science of it all. Mike, just a, a final maybe parting comment um, from you just in terms of from, from your point of view, what do you think is there three or four things that a farmer can do to keep their soil in good health? Yeah, obviously that's very country specific because of the soils and environmental conditions. But for Ireland, I would say keep monitoring your pH and make sure that's in the healthy range for the soil. So not too acidic, not super alkaline. Super alkaline, it's, there's not as many ways to change that. The super acid, you can obviously add lime, but try and keep your pH in that sweet zone uh, for the particular crop that you're growing. Obviously, it's different for different crops. A key thing is soil fertility. Control and balance your nutrient concentrations in the soil. So make sure you, you've got balanced crop nutrition. Keep an eye on micronutrients. When I say that, keep an eye on micronutrients and all the elements that are required for crop production. Uh, so proper soil testing. If you if you see a visual symptom in the crop, take tissue analysis perhaps and try and find out, is it a micronutrient deficiency or is it something else to do with disease? And obviously with, um, with Ireland, where soils are mechanically managed more intensively, you've got to minimize compaction, make sure you're, not going on a soil where you're causing smearing and compaction on the soil if it's too wet. And if you can boost your organic matter levels, get the organic carbon content up. And the best way to get organic carbon content up is either add a lot in manures, composts, these sorts of things, or grow really healthy crops because that adds organic matter to soil and return residues to the soil because that will build the organic matter over time. Brilliant. That's that, that's great, and we, we we kind of end up back to where we started talking about a little bit in the first place uh, about uh, back about back to organic manures, and uh, I suppose mm. a lot of 
a lot of this kind of turns back into really good farming practice. And I think a lot of what we talked about over the last uh, couple of podcasts, a lot of it pretty much come back comes back to that. Um, you know, having a, a a good process in terms of what you do in the field, adding com- adding manures or composts, and don't abuse your soil by adding too much nitrogen or too too much machinery at the wrong times of the year. It kind of all pretty much comes mm. back to that. So, Mike, listen, that's great. Thank you very much um, for all your all of your input into the last couple of podcasts. Um, it's it's been brilliant and a and a really great insight from from a, a long term. Uh, soil chemist and um, soil expert as you are. Thank you very much. No bother. Thanks, Michael. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Mike for joining me on the show and for his contributions earlier in the series. So finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcast or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.